to the teaching ministry of Pastor Jay Eberly. Get ready to be empowered through the understanding of God's Word. So if you brought your Bible, go to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're thankful for the visitors that are here this morning. Glad you're here. If you're looking for a home church that you can get the Word and learn and grow spiritually and that you can get refreshed when you come to church by the presence of God, you found the right place. We just say, welcome home. How do you become a part of, this, of the church? You just keep coming. You come back and find out about more and more about what we're about. If you don't like this service, come to the next one. They're all different. I guarantee you'll like something around here. Amen. So we're excited about having you. Um, welcome back to any of our services. Fourth chapter of Ephesians, I want you to notice it starting in verse number seven. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he descended first, talking about Jesus, into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Well, now we know those as the fivefold ministry offices from the New Testament. For the perfecting of the saints. This is their job description. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Amen. Under the knowledge and of, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Now the two times there it uses the word perfect. He's not talking about never make a mistake. You'll not get to that place where you don't ever make any more mistakes. Someone said, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm sanctified. I can't sin anymore. Well, you just saying that. You just sinned. Because you just lied about it. <laughs> anyway, the word perfect means mature and uh, full grown. That's what he's talking about, growing up to Jesus' full stature. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and the perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, he even said it there. To grow up to full stature of spiritual development like Jesus. Well, that's saying a lot. You just read the book of Hebrews. Uh, you find out that in Hebrews that he, he was perfected in that he suffered. He did not reach full maturity spiritually. Jesus had to grow spiritually. You read Hebrews and you'll find that out. He, had to, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men just like everybody else. But uh, he uh, became fully mature when he submitted himself to the will of God and said, not my will, but thy will be done. And took the place on the cross that redeemed us. Took his place on the cross that redeemed us. Well, a full maturity for you and me might not be uh, dying on a cross, particularly because you can't save anybody from sin through your death. <laughs> Amen. So, but it is just not my will, but thy will be done. That's, that's growing up into maturity. Perfected means matured, but it also means if you look it up, uh, right ordering or right arrangement. Things come into order whenever we grow up. Been saying that, but I'll just say it again. Some things people say, well, I just, I've so longed for this to be right in my life and things that have been out of order for so long to be. Well, one, one main thing that will bring it into order is just continue to grow up. Amen. How do you grow? Well, a person that's growing up spiritually, their mind's being renewed, they're crucifying their flesh, um, and they're developing their spirit, feeding it on the Word. Just like you develop naturally, you've got to develop spiritually. Spiritually, uh, spiritual growth is like natural growth. A lot of similarities. Well, then to grow naturally, we were born babies. We all are born babies spiritually. But naturally, we were born babies and we have to eat and exercise and grow up. Amen. Same thing true spiritually. You have to eat and the Word of God is the food. The Bible says that. And then you have to uh, 
you know, uh, exercise on the Word of God. And there are certain other things that will help you grow, such as being around other believers that God brings you into contact with. He's talking about that here. You see that as we go on. You'll see here, he said, grow up, be matured. That means perfected, means matured. And uh, verse 13 says that as well. Then henceforth be no more children. See, that's talking about spiritual growth, growing out of childhood stage. Tossed to and fro, this is a characteristic of spiritual children. Carried about with every wind of doctrine and slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So there's things that spiritual children uh, that belong to childhood stages of development, and that is instability. You can't count on them. They're not faithful. They don't stay put. They don't go through the hard places and stay at the same place God put them. They go through hard places and end up getting disconnected. So, but he said we should grow out of those stages. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up. See, that's obvious what he's talking about. Spiritually grow up. Into him in all things. Everything, not just things we like. Which is the head. Jesus is the head. Uh, which is the head, even Christ. Now notice verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So the whole body, Jesus the head of the, see, Jesus' physical body is at the right hand of the Father right now. The Bible said he was sent up and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's his physical body. And, uh, but, but the spiritual body, the body of Christ is made up, the, or, or Christ, is a, is a, he has a physical body, but he also has a spiritual body. Meaning that the body, the us, whenever we were born again, we came into the spiritual body of Christ and God put us in the body where it pleased Him. 1 Corinthians 12 says that, where it pleased Him. Hallelujah. Now you notice he said this body is fitly joined and compacted. And every joint supplied. So there's a joining. Whenever, in order to grow up, we must be joined. We must accept where God joins us together with the rest of the body of Christ. The spiritual body of Christ, if you were to look at it in the spirit, is not joined to the right connections in so many places. There are a lot of lone range. People think they're, they're, they're just, you know, well, I'm saved and that's all I need. I don't need to, you know, a church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need anybody else to, to be around me spiritually, you know, or, or whatever, you know. I don't, I don't agree with organized Christianity, they call it. Well, uh, the Bible does, so you need to get... Get, you know, get in, the, get in church to learn not to be stupid like that. <laughs> We're all connected somewhere. I've never seen anybody, you know, walking through the mall, walking through the airport, walking through the grocery store, anywhere I've seen people, everywhere I've gone. I've never seen one person walking around where their entire body was connected except for the arm. It floated in the air out here and just did its own thing out there. Have you ever seen anybody like that? just floats around out there in the vicinity, but not really connected. Well, the body of Christ is the same way. There's no parts that are not connected to the rest of the body. Man, if Christians could get a hold of this, they'd save themselves from a lot of heartache. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but uh, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Now, he had been talking about from, uh, well, let's, let's, from whom is from Jesus, you know, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Sometimes people say, oh, all I need is Jesus. I don't need anybody else. I don't need a church. I don't need any of that. Well, you have to uh, notice what he's saying here, from whom the whole body, yeah. 
In other words, everything comes from the body. I mean, excuse me, from the head into the body. Jesus is the head. But what he's telling us is it comes, yes, from the head, but it comes through other members where we're joined. Notice he said, from, the, from Jesus, we could say, the whole body fitly joined and compacted, joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So yes, it comes from the head, but it comes through other joints that we're connected to. Where we're joined is where the things of the Spirit, revelation from the Word, endowments, impartations, things that we need, training, discipleship, and all those things, they come through other members that have something in the body that we're supposed to be connected to. Amen. He said from whom, but it's obvious he's not saying that everything comes directly from the head to individual members of the body without going through other members to get to those individual members. Because he said, notice back up there in verse number 7, well, let's go down to verse 11, save some time, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, it comes from the head, but things come through the head through these fivefold ministry offices. Isn't that what he's talking about? And spiritual maturity will not occur without being connected where God wants you to be connected. Amen. Now, now, you can fuss with that. You can balk at it. You can cuss it and fuss it and do whatever you want. But you'll not mature spiritually. Some say, I'm just as saved as you are. We're not talking about salvation here. You may be just as saved. You might go to heaven just as quick as we do whenever we, we die. You know, go to heaven or Jesus comes. That's not the point. He's talking not about going to heaven. He's not talking about being saved. He's talking about growing up spiritually. And there's a lot of benefits of growing up spiritually. So we started talking about divine connections. Amen? And remember we went, we won't go there this morning, but uh, we went back there to Matthew. You can just remember without turning there. Remember what it said back there. We looked at Matthew chapter number 9. Talks about the, uh, the, uh, whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, or verse, chapter 10 actually, verse number 40 on through 42. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you have a prophet's reward. Why is that? Well, Jesus said if you receive, uh, verse 40 back there, if you receive uh, them that I sent, you receive me. Jesus sent out his disciples, said they receive you, they receive me. Well, that's because he's the one that sent them, he's the one that endowed them, and they're speaking what he, want, he told them to tell them. So whenever they received those 12 apostles that were sent out, they received Jesus. You remember whenever Jesus uh, appeared to Saul, whose name was changed to Paul on the road to Damascus, what did Jesus say uh, to uh, Saul? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou my Christians? No, he said me, me. Remember he said in that you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Well, what he's saying is, if they're in the body, if they're connected to me and in the body, yes. then their, their supply that they're bringing you is from me. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. And Jesus didn't see Paul as persecuting Christians. I mean, he, yes, they were Christians, but they were him. You understand that? Hallelujah. You need to understand that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Boy, we could get into that and spend the rest of the service on that and it would help you. But he that receives you, you receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. Then he said, if you receive a prophet, name of prophet, you have a prophet's reward. You receive a righteous man, name of a righteous man, righteous man's reward. Then whoever shall give unto only a disciple, a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, whoever have a disciple's reward. So he's saying, you receive them, you receive me because they're connected to me. And by receiving them, you're connecting to them. That's the way he set up the body. And so we get blessed. 
There's a blessing in being connected. Connected, right. So we started talking about these divine relationships, these divine connections in the body of Christ. If you've not been in any of these services, well, go back and get the audios or go online and listen to it. It's all free online. But uh, you, can, uh, you can just know there's much went before what we're going to say this morning. Well, what are these divine connections? They're spiritual, uh, they're spiritual leadership that God's placed over us to make impartations into our lives. They do it through teaching. They do it through impartations of the endowment that's on their lives. They do it through private conversations. They do it through their example of living. Amen. A lot of different ways they do it. But these impartations equip us to run our race and to finish our course the plan of God for our life. Amen. Amen. Remember over in the ninth chapter of Matthew, which we we were looking at the 10th chapter, but he said he saw the sheep scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I mean, he saw the the, the people, Israel, scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said, uh, pray the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. So the sheep were scattered because they had no shepherd. They fainted and were scattered, it says. So what we find then is without having a shepherd, then we'll faint and be scattered. There'll be things in our life that won't be collected. You know, somebody said a rolling stone never gathers any moss. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever going out in Pennsylvania in the woods, you go out and there's a lot of mossy rocks out in the woods, you know. And uh, we'd bring them in. My mom would bring them in and put them in a little little thing and seal it up. She called it a winter garden. You know, a glass container and that moss would grow in there and everything. Well, those rocks just cover with moss. You let them, but if they're rolling around all the time and not staying put, they won't gather any moss. If you want to gather up the blessings of God and and those blessings not be scattered, you have to learn to stay put somewhere. Even in the hard places. Even whenever something happens that you didn't like. Dear God, if I could shout that from the top of the rafters. You know, the devil will come to get you disconnected from your divine supply, to get you disconnected from these godly relationships. Amen. Well, we've been sharing that. We won't have to go back over that. But these, divine, these are divine alliances authored by God. They're right associations. And there's protection and an umbrella of blessing over our lives. Somebody said, well, I have faith. I don't need anybody else. Well, why don't you take everything God has for you? Your faith is a, is a blessing, but you can have the faith of a whole bunch of other people. Absolutely. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Anyway, so we, uh, we're learning about this. Now, he said, uh, back over here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we've been studying this relationship. I'm sorry, not chapter 15, chapter 4, verse number 15. 1 Corinthians 4, 15, it says, Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause, and now let me stop there. If you read other places in the New Testament, Paul said, uh, be imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Then it says, Paul said over there in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, if I remember right, he said, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's all right scripturally. It's all right to follow a man who is following Jesus. Now, I say this as long as you can see Jesus over his shoulder. You understand that? Now, um, there's, because uh, he's following Jesus. If you can't see Jesus, then you better, you better check up what's going on here. 
but though you have 10,000 instructors, yet you have not many fathers. Then he said, uh, follow me. Be followers of me. Somebody said, wait a minute. I don't believe in that. I just believe in following Jesus. Well, the thing about it is so many times that uh, so many people don't get what Jesus is really saying to them unless they hear somebody say it with their physical ears. And Jesus isn't going to talk audibly to you out of the sky, at least not all the time. You understand? He might maybe once in your life or something like that, but hello. Get in trouble seeking after that. But the point is, a lot of us don't get it until we hear somebody say it with our physical ear. Oh, oh, I see that. Well, if we hadn't been connected, we wouldn't have got that. So be followers of me. Then he said, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is a beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Praise God. Beloved son. So a spiritual son. God, uh, uh, the Bible, Paul called Timothy a son. He called Titus a son. Onesimus a son. Uh, he called the whole church at Corinth here. We just read verse 15. He called them children, sons. As my beloved sons, I warn you. So he brought them up in spiritual things. Now he said, I have begotten you in the Lord. Notice that. I have begotten you through the gospel, in other words. Well, the, the, uh, the person that led you to the Lord could function as a spiritual father, so to speak, but sometimes they don't know enough to do it. You know, you know, I have heard testimonies of people who grew up in church but never got saved themselves, but they're out doing drugs or something and somebody's having a hard time about it, and the person that's not even saved themselves went to church but they're away from God, led somebody else to the Lord. I mean, you know, in that case, he can't be a spiritual father to you. He told you all he knows, and he's not walking in any... See, a spiritual father is not just somebody who says, that's the way, go that direction. It's somebody who's walking that direction. So don't get off on, well, my spiritual father has to be the one that led me to the Lord. Well, maybe they don't know enough to walk, to walk you further beyond where they went. You know, that's why some of you came here to church rather than go to church where you were going. Because they couldn't take you any further. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean you don't recognize them as part of the body. See, you always honor them. Like I, I grew up, I got saved in the Mennonite church. And I thank God to this day for Mennonites. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, you know, uh, you know they're, they're, they're my brothers in Christ. Good people, a lot of good people. But see, they couldn't take me, to forget where I was going, they couldn't take me beyond a certain point. So not out of division or strife or anything, but just out of I got to follow on to to know the Lord, we are all responsible to keep on, because I got filled with the Holy Ghost and they didn't, they didn't believe in that, you know. But it's in the Word, so I had to walk in the light of that. So with all the love I had in my heart, still go back and see them, still go back and visit them. The pastor back there, I remember going back one time and, and uh, just thinking, remember, <clears throat> I had a couple of times we went back between Bible school years or before, uh, right after we graduated or something, I go back there and I go around and visit, you know, I remember going to the pastor and just thanking him for everything he he, you know, brought into my life. See, that's honor. We ought to honor those people. And then I went to my high school and thanked those teachers that led me to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because, see, I went to a Christian high school. But they themselves stayed in those churches and they didn't grow spiritually like they should. But I went back and thanked them. Thank you for bringing that message of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Miss Weiser died a year or so ago and went on to heaven. I'm looking forward to seeing her. She's one of them that helped me get filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I, my dad told me on the phone, he said, I don't know if you heard it, but Miss Weiser, because he knew the place she had in my life, her and, and Miss Hawk, 
two, Miss Hawk was the home ec teacher. I didn't go to home ec, but I did, but I did, uh, the girls that went to home ec, they started getting these books from her and Miss Weiser in high school. And, uh, they started getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And then those girls started talking to me about getting filled with the Holy Ghost. So praise God. I thank Miss Hawk. I thank Miss Weiser <laughs> for getting me baptized in the Holy Ghost. Woo, to this day, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I just, I just thank God I didn't have to stay where I was. But anyway, uh, my dad said, I guess you didn't hear. Maybe you didn't hear Miss Weiser went to heaven. I said, no. And I, I didn't realize, you know, until you hear something like that, just start tearing up how precious it is that somebody brought that message to me. Anyway, but see, my point is not everybody that, that sows into your life is going to able maybe to be a spiritual father. They had their place. They did their part. But uh, somebody that's a spiritual father, you can follow them for the rest of their lives. Anyway, um, now let's, I want to study this relationship a little more. We've been trying to get to this for uh, two weeks now, three weeks here, now the third week. But so, not just dive into it so we don't have to go beating around the bush and trying to figure out what this is all about here. Um, let's go over to start with this, this morning to uh, the book of Proverbs, the 22nd chapter here. We're going to look at what a spiritual father relationship is like. And uh, the blessing of having a spiritual father. Amen. Now, like I said, you've heard me say this. Uh, you're going to Proverbs 22 there. But you've heard me say a spiritual father is not somebody who takes the place of a, uh, or excuse me, not, not somebody who takes the place of the father God. They can't do that. And we're not trying to do that. Nobody's trying to put that person in a place where only God can take, God can have. But a spiritual father is someone who carries out that part of the heart of God for you. Amen. The fatherly, you know, mentoring kind of relationship. Now, I'll say this. I've studied uh, this uh, in the Bible, and I've observed it just watching how things work in the body of Christ. You don't base doctrine on what you see, but you can see things in line with the Word. Remember, uh, it's been said, and I agree with it, that a pastor should be and could be a person like a spiritual father to you. But I found that people have to accept that, the pastoral ministry in that way for that to work for them. And I found not everybody understands that, which is fine. You know, God will meet all of us where we are. You understand? I know people in this congregation that struggle with this kind of thing. And if that's not the place that you have, somebody said, well, you know, that's not the place you have. Well, then just... just that you can have as much as you will receive. Back over there, remember Matthew 10, we see we receive a prophet, receive a righteous man, receive a disciple. Somebody said that's three different people. Well, could be. I don't have any question. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But it could be. It's the same person. You know, the same person can have all those. Same person. One person could be a prophet or they could be. And then they're also a disciple and they're also a righteous person. You know, a righteous person is somebody that's right with God through the blood of Jesus, but that doesn't make them a, a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a student. Amen. So one, one man could or one woman could be all three of those things. And although he stands in a ministry office, yet you only receive him in one of these other places. Well, you'll get the blessing out of that for receiving them that way. Can you see what I'm talking about? Anyway... There's different levels of pastoring, and some people, for example, uh, those that are called to the ministry, I'm going to have a different relationship with them as a pastor than I will uh, some of those that don't receive me in that way. 
those that are called to the ministry tend to have this more of a uh, father-son or father-daughter or mother-daughter with my wife, uh, you know, kind of relationship more so than the congregation at whole. But the Lord spoke to me about ministering this, so we're going to do that. Is that all right? And you can learn much through the Bible. You can learn much about spiritual fathering by understanding natural fathering. Amen. All right, Proverbs 22, have you found it? Look at verse number 28. This is something the Lord spoke to me about real strong. And you're going to get blessed. Everybody say, hold on, we're going now. He said in 28, here Proverbs 22, Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Now he's talking about, back there, he's talking to Israel, of course. And he's saying that not, not just uh, natural fathers... But he's talking about their spiritual fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. And then the 12 tribes of Israel came out. Jacob had 12 boys. And those are how the 12 tribes of Israel got started. And he said they laid down. Not only, uh, uh, you know, not only did Joshua divide up the inheritance of Canaan's land and, and give, okay, the tribe of Judah, this belongs to you. The tribe of, of uh, Issachar belongs over here. You know, and they, they had different tribes and they had different portions in Canaan's land. And those portions were divided up by families and the families would have, okay, this is your farm right here. This is your 40 acres or whatever. But back then, 40 acres would have been huge, you know. They didn't have the equipment. But let's just say 20 acres. It's probably still huge. But uh, the point is, and they had, they had uh, dividing lines to divide up that land. And so he's using that as an illustration of what their spiritual fathers laid down for them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how that God appeared to Abraham and told him certain things. And how that God appeared to Moses and, and told him certain things, you know, to the children of Israel. And all those, those spiritual fathers that brought them to where they were. They were a people who were following the revelation that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as Moses. Amen. So they, were, they called them spiritual fathers. The Bible, even in the New Testament, calls Abraham the father of faith. Well, wait a minute. God's our father. Well, yeah, I know, but he showed us how. You read Abraham's life, you'll learn more about faith than you will any other man in the New Testament. Well, he was in the Old Testament, but the New Testament talks about Abraham more than anybody, and it calls him the father of faith. Learn from dad how to live by faith. Amen. Go back there and read how he obeyed God even when he didn't understand, you know. God said, I want you to offer Isaac. He didn't understand that, but he said, I'll do it. I don't understand it, but I'll do it. Of course, God wasn't for human sacrifice. He stopped him, you know. You understand that. But uh, he was looking for somebody that would go in covenant with. So he said, those men, he said, they laid down. Now, uh, the uh, landmarks, the word landmark here in the uh, Greek, or not Greek, but the Hebrew. Uh, if you let me take some time with this, you'll get to the place, this will explode to you. Will you let me take some time with this? The word landmarks here in the Hebrew language means border or boundary. You know, for example, um, you know, back, you know, back in that day, it was a little different. Still, still today, somewhat, it's this way. But you know, now we have, uh, you know, all these uh, GPS and all these things. You can mark boundaries from space. You know, here's your boundary, and they'll drive us a metal stake in. And if the neighbor farmer has a a farm over here and your farm here, we got to decide. Well, where's the edge of his and where's the edge of mine? And and which this piece right here is that my land or is that his land? You know, you got to okay. So you, you we drive a stake and we mark the land here. We mark the land there and a straight line between those two. That's mine on this side, his on that side. 
So when he says landmarks, he's talking about that. But he's not just talking about that. Back then, for example, they didn't have, you know, all the things we have today. And they didn't probably drive stakes. But they just say, all right, from that tree right there over here to this gully right here. Or that pile of rocks right there to that tree. That's our boundary line. You understand? And so that would mark off their, their inheritance, which part of the land belonged to them. But the word boundary, I mean, uh, the word landmarks in the Hebrew, I've been doing some studying on this. I think eventually I'm going to be writing a book about this. But the word boundary here, uh, landmark, doesn't just mean boundary. It came to mean not just the border, but the territory enclosed within the border. In other words, the landmarks marked off where something, where something was that belonged to us. You understand? So whenever the Bible says, remove not the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set, he's talking about certain, uh, certain territory that leaders of faith pioneer for us and till for us and teach us about, such as, for example, the message of faith, such as the move of the Spirit, such as who we are in Christ, such as divine healing. They, they got this from God. Now, it all came out of the Bible, you understand. But see, in the dark ages, a lot of things were lost. And God uses certain men to restore certain territories that the church lost, and they're no longer tilling that ground. It's growing up in weeds. But see, God says it's yours. And what happens is, take for example today, we've got, you've heard the term seeker-sensitive. Some of you might know a little bit about what that's about. Some of you might know more. But basically, it's a movement to move away from the move of the Spirit so not to offend anybody. You know, no words of knowledge, no tongues and interpretation on Sunday morning kind of thing. No singing out in the Spirit like my wife just did. No laying hands on anybody. No, no, no prophesying or anything. Because we might offend somebody. Well, what that's doing is that's taking that boundary mark and moving it. And saying, now, that land no longer belongs to the church here. We're going to move the boundary line, and we're going to stay over here. Now, in the old days, back in the days that this kind of thing was written here, we've got this in Proverbs, and we've got it uh, in Psalms. We're going to look at if we can get some time in Psalms. Uh, in the old days, to move a boundary line, and you can understand this even today. If you, let's say, you've got a neighbor farmer over here, Farmer John, he's over here, he's, got, he's your neighbor, he's a farmer, and here's your land. But you, back there is a post stuck in the ground that shows where the dividing line is. Do you know if you go out there in the middle of the night and you move that post 200 yards this direction or whatever, 50 yards this direction or excuse me, not not that direction but this is your land so you'd move it this direction. Do you know what you just did? You just stole his land. You just stole his land. Do you understand? Because you're moving the boundary line here and you're saying now this here's mine up to the line which I moved a little bit further this way. It's considered stealing whenever a person moves the boundary lines. Now, when Brother Hagin came on the scene preaching faith, we see from the Word of God that God was saying, here's some territory that the devil stole from the church that I want you to start cultivating again. Amen. People get offended because I mentioned somebody's name. Well, if somebody's a spiritual father, they're a spiritual father. Just because people didn't pay attention to the message he brought doesn't mean that he wasn't of God. Get off the internet, folks. 
People lie on the internet because they can hide behind nobody knows who said it. Besides that, there's more lies on there, you know, anyway. The, the point is that God's brought some things and restored some things through the Pentecostal revival and all these things. You know, whenever we go back and we look at Azusa Street, we're going back and mem remembering a landmark where God set something into the church that the church had lost. And we ought to go back to that and remember. See, isn't that what a landmark is? There's a couple different ways you define a landmark. A landmark can also be a memorial. And we go back like we've got the, down in, uh, or over in Washington, we've got the Vietnam Memorial, Vietnam Veterans Memorial, you know, we've got memorials all over our nation. We go there and we remember the people that fought our wars or who, whatever the memorial represents. Amen. Well, that's what we're to do. We're to go back to like, things of, of history, how God restored things back into the church, and we're to remember. Remember, we're, we're Holy Ghost people. Remember, we're people that believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We go back there and remember. Am I preaching all right? Now, who are these people, such as uh, Brother Seymour, who God used to bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues back into the body of Christ? Who are these people? They're spiritual fathers. And we're not to take what they said and move it and say, now wait a minute now, Lord, we're not going to speak with tongues anymore. Hello? You just stole something from the body of Christ. Do you understand? I said you just stole something from the body of Christ. If God brought something into the church that belongs to the church, then let's not steal it away from the people. By getting up and preaching, well, that's done away with and all the lies that the devil propagates, you know, over pulpits, sad to say. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amen. Hallelujah. But now, a spiritual father, notice he said, remove not the uh, ancient, well, the King James says, ancient landmarks, which thy fathers have set. So God will speak to certain people and they will usher in an era of new understanding of the word of God. Not adding to the Word of God. Just understanding of things that have been there all along that people didn't realize. I'm preaching good. You're going to get this this morning. Which thy fathers have set. Hallelujah. He said we're not to remove those. The word remove in the Hebrew means just that. Means to move or displace. But figuratively it means to depart away from, to uh, turn away from, turn back or backslide. He's saying, don't backslide from the truths that these spiritual fathers have brought into your life. In other words, don't lose them. This is huge. Amen. It could include Bible truths, revelation knowledge of things we didn't see in the Word. You know, for centuries, the church taught poverty, for example. Well, once you get your eyes open to what the Bible actually says, it's like, how... It makes you mad that you believe such lies. You know, God would actually be working against himself to want a broke church. Amen. Now, um, so these things were set through the word of God, set into our lives, and they could include Bible truths. They could include uh, uh, things that are moral, ethical, or right. Um, for example... Uh, spiritual people, spiritual leaders in the body of Christ, they'll stand up and say, that's wrong. Yeah. This is right, but that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now notice here it says ancient landmarks. I'm going to do a little Greek, or a little, uh, little Hebrew definitions here to get you kind of on the same page here so you can understand everything. The word ancient in the Hebrew, it just simply means uh, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Everlasting, ever and ever. Continuous existence. In other words, it's something that is that covers many generations. It's not something that changes with the cult, pop culture or because of some new fad that came through the body of Christ. Amen. There are truths which never change. I said there are truths that never change. You know, the world out there is, is trying to change truth. Take same-sex marriage, for example. There are some things that never change. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And no new fangled idea is going to change it no matter who tries to change it, no matter who legalizes it, no matter who passes a law or which judge says it's okay. There are some things that never change. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. I know you've heard that before, but it just never changes. That's the way God did it. A man shall leave his uh, mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So there are some things that never change. And spiritual fathers will not say, well, I guess it's different nowadays. No, spiritual father stands up and says that this never changes. That's moving the old landmarks. You know, the, the, one of the most blessed you know, one of the great Christian organization used to be a Christian organization called the Boy Scouts. Just made a just made a change in policy about some of these things, and that's moving the landmarks. That's moving things that were forever settled are always true. They're still true today, and saying it's not true. But that's that's not what the spiritual fathers said in the church. You go back to uh, Martin Luther, you go back to John Wesley, you go back to all these men and ask them if, it's, if, if this is okay. And they go, what on earth are you thinking? But there are Christian groups today who won't say it's wrong. You know, we're not fighting people. People can come in here that are living that lifestyle, get saved and hear the word and make the corrections and they can be just as free from all that. Amen. I'm not trying to get on an issue, but I'm trying to illustrate something that, that what he's talking about here, there, is, there are things that are set that are everlasting truth that never change. See, we've got to ask ourselves the, ourself the question. As Americans today, ask ourselves, are there things that, is there truth that never changes? Are there things, is there such thing as absolute truth? Higher than the Constitution. Absolutely. Now, we have a good constitution which, which recognizes spiritual truth. People are lying. I never heard so many lies. I don't even, can't even stand listening to a bunch of junk put out today. Our constitution, the people that founded this nation were godly people. You just listen to brother, what's his name, Barton? Uh, uh, not John Barton. Huh? David Barton. He'll set, the, he'll set it straight. He'll quote all these people rather than say, well, so-and-so said. He'll just say, well, okay, here's what they said. You know, people are standing, anyway, I'll get off of that. <laughs> Don't move the landmarks. 
They're still right and they're still wrong. Glory to God. Now, uh, like I said, landmarks means the, the border or the boundary line. Uh, and uh, it includes the territory within it. So it says, don't backslide from these truths that were established by spiritual fathers. Can you see what I'm talking about? Now, um, a landmark could be defined as what a spiritual father marks you with when he takes the word and impacts your beliefs, your spirit, and your standards. See, a spiritual father is, is going to teach you spiritual things from the word. So a spiritual landmark in your life could be, I'll say that again, defined as what a spiritual father marks you with when he takes the word and impacts your beliefs, your spirit, and your standards. I'll say something else. A landmark is a standard, a truth that was set into our lives by spiritual fathers, such as, like I said, the message of faith, who we are in Christ, the move of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Amen, all these things. And then individually, a spiritual father will will talk to you about your individual endowment of the Spirit and help you to recognize that, what's what's on your life individually. Amen. Amen. Now, um, a landmark in the natural is some designated object, like I said. Could be a pile of rocks, could be a tree. (laughs) Nowadays, it's more often a stake pounded into the ground. But it's there... Uh, by which the boundary line is known. Now, whenever a father who tilled that land passes on that land to his son, because, you know, a lot of times people inherit farms and things, he passes that land on to his son. A, uh, A son, then, he is able to know what his inheritance is. Or you could say the extent of his inheritance. Amen. And when it comes to spiritual things, a spiritual landmark passed on from a spiritual father to a spiritual son in the spirit are the teachings that that father gave that son. They are, like I said, the impartations of the spirit, the revelations of the word. They are standards. Amen. Amen. Moral standards, for example. Uh, Spiritual guidance and so forth and so on. That father lived that, demonstrated that, taught that son that. And that's to pass that revelation, that truth, on to the next generation. You know, God's not just interested in one generation. He's interested in generations. He's a generational God. He he does things way longer. He's thinking way longer term than we are. You know, people aren't thinking very long term to bring in this, this sin and things that bring judgment on a nation. Legalizing sin. They're not thinking very long term because uh, righteousness exalts a nation, not, not sin. Tell your neighbor, he's preaching good whether you're amen or not. <clears throat> amen. Now, um, like I said, the, uh, a spiritual landmark is something that is set in your life by a spiritual father. Um, another way a landmark can be... Uh, can be, you know, we know it marks a boundary line, but it can also be used to give directions. You know, we have signs now, and we actually have, uh, you know, Google Maps and all that. We can, you don't need to do this as much today as what we used to, but, but take, for example, before that, <clears throat> before they maybe, maybe even have street signs, or maybe you're way out in the country where the signs fell down or something, you know, 
the cow hit it and it pushed it over or something. <laughs> but you're way out there. And so you got, you're trying to get somebody to your house. You live way out in the country. You'll say, all right, go down uh, this road and uh, you'll know you're on the right road whenever you see the great big red barn on the right, you know. And uh, when you see that great big red barn, you'll probably go another 200 feet or so. And when you go another 200 feet, then you're going to see uh, an old silo standing all by itself off to the, off to the left-hand side. And then right there at that silo is going to be a road go to the right. When you see that silo, turn to the right. You know. <laughs> Hallelujah. We Iowans know about all that, you know. But see, what was that, that silo or that red barn, whatever, they're used as, as, uh, to give directions, aren't they? And that's a, you, you pointed out a landmark, something to help orient the person and, and help them to locate where they are compared to where they should be. Isn't that right? You understand what I'm talking about? Now, that, that red barn or that silo, whatever, they, that helps the person to know that they're on the right path. And that's what spiritual landmarks are like. Now, whenever you are a spiritual son, watch the people that God's using in your life to train you in spiritual things. Watch what they do whenever you sense the anointing. Okay, now, watch, what, what, do they, what do they do? How do they flow with that? And whenever you see how they flow with it, then you go, aha, uh -huh, I've, I've learned how. Whenever I sense that anointing, then I'd use, if I step out, and that's, oh, I see, now that was that healing anointing. I didn't recognize what it was, but I recognize the anointing's here to do something. Oh, that's that healing anointing. And whenever they went that direction, at that point of the service, when you sense that healing anointing, you say, okay, landmark, landmark, landmark. So later, whenever you're being used to minister healing and you sense that same thing, you can go, my father told me. He put a, he put a stake in the ground right there. And daddy showed me whenever that anointing comes in, that's what that is, that's that healing anointing. And so I'm going to minister to the sick. You understand? It shows you, it orients you to where you're going so that you can flow with what your spiritual father showed you was available in this boundary, this territory that belongs to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor that's getting real clear now. Hallelujah. Now, in the old days, like I said, it was considered stealing to move a boundary line. Um, and God considers this stealing to move a, a, what spiritual fathers have brought in. You know, people like George Washington, you've been seeing this on the news. I know I've seen a couple uh, uh, things on the news about this in the last few days. What would George Washington think about America today? One article was about what would Abraham Lincoln think about America today? See, these are some of our founding fathers that oriented the nation in the right direction. Lincoln oriented us away from slavery and oriented us away from so many ungodly things. Well, what would they think? Those men, what would they think today? I believe that they, are, they would cringe at what we're doing today, especially the loss of liberty. They fought, lost property, lost family members. Some of them died in battle to gain the independence that we're, that we're walking in, only to see uh, the government try to run our lives again. We are to go back to the, the founding fathers and what did they say because that's what has made this nation great. And you find out their quotes and you read what they said and they'll say things as, you know, a nation can't succeed like with this kind of constitution without the people being godly people. 
They have to be governed by more than just laws. They have to be governed by the morality. That's what it means whenever the Bible says the law, I mean, not the Bible, but the uh, Constitution says the laws of nature and of nature's God. They're talking about things that are understood by everybody that are right and wrong. It's just natural. Everybody knows this is right and this is wrong. It's wrong for somebody to steal somebody else's property. So they set in place property rights. That's a blessing we have that many other nations don't have. We have the right of owning property. And it's ours. And we, we have the right of defending it. We have the right of using it and so forth and so on. But all these things that, that, was, uh, that uh, they, they, they put in the Constitution in order to protect the citizens from the tyranny of government were put there on purpose because they were escaping the tyranny of the king of England and they said, we're going to make a constitution that doesn't allow the government to uh, uh, operate with tyranny. You know some things are getting crazy nowadays. Boy, if I got on that, I would, I would really get angry, but anyway. Just, you need to wake up. Your liberties are being... The government is trying to steal all kinds of rights of yours right now. They're trying to take away the right of freedom of speech. They're trying to take away the right to bear arms, to keep and bear arms. That's absolutely the truth. They are trampling on states' rights, the, the federal government. They are trampling on individual rights. They are spying on you on the phone and on the Internet. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I told the staff the other day, okay, find another one than somebody other than Google who isn't hooked up with the government. Because I don't want church documents or things that we're passing between ourselves, the government looking at that. Can you tell I get a little something on me whenever I... <laughs> I mean, they're trying to steal some stuff. And if they don't stop, we're going to have a revolution. And I might be out at the head of it, you know. I have a pastor friend of mine. I'm not going to tell you which state he lives in, but he's a good friend, good brother. I love him. But he preaches with a pistol right here. Where's that pocket? Right there. He preaches with a pistol right there. The right to keep and bear arms. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Some of you kind of got woken up because of that. See, I don't have one. Don't be scared. I don't have one. But I am pretty much a redneck, and I have one. I have several at home. All right. So, tell your neighbor I got some things out of that now. But the seeker-sensitive movement is trying to take spiritual territory away from us. That Smith Wigglesworth, Kenyon, Doctor Summerall, Amen. All these men, Brother Hagen, uh, John Alexander Dowie. We go back to Martin Luther and. Charles Wesley and all these mighty men of God. You know, most denominations are raised up by a spiritual father that brought in a truth that was mightily used of God. Many of them had miracles in their lives. Their people followed it into, you know, they lost a lot of things. That's what revivals are called. That's what they are. They're restoring things that spiritual fathers have set in the church. Hallelujah. Can you say Amen. There are men that represent entire eras of revival in our church history. They restored spiritual things back to the church. Amen. They gave us a spiritual heritage of faith. Centuries ago, you couldn't walk into a church and get everything you can get in a church like this today. Only because our, our spiritual fathers of our history, of the church age, 
started restoring it after the dark ages and things kept on coming and kept on coming. Revelation keeps on coming. And we're going to keep on going. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, these spiritual men of our spiritual history, they worked the land for us. They showed us what it can grow. And uh, they gave it to us as an inheritance. Whenever they went off the scene, went on to heaven. And we're to continue to cultivate that land. We're not to let it grow up in weeds. We're not to move the landmarks and say that's not ours anymore. We're not to let the devil steal our spiritual inheritance. Amen. This is rich spiritual territory and I'm not giving it up. Tell your neighbor, I, I'm not giving it up either. I'm with pastor. So what he's saying is your spiritual father or a spiritual father is somebody who lays down the lines and says, here's truth. Here's where the boundaries are. Here's what our inheritance is. Here's what belongs to us. And this is our territory here. Praise God. Now there are multitudes that don't understand whenever somebody stands for keeping things away, keeping the truths that have been brought into the church. They think, well, you know, you're old fogey, but uh, old fogey, blessed, healed, free, saved, prosperous, sound in mind. Everything's going good. Praise God. So a spiritual father is like a spiritual surveyor. Amen. When you're connected with the man of God that God connects you with, God will survey your life, mark it. He'll put a mark on your life. And he'll say, this belongs to you. Young people in the Lord are set in the body of Christ under a man of God to be marked by God so they'll arrive at their destination. Amen. Amen. Today, nowadays, the, the, flying, the technology to fly airplanes is changing. It takes a little time for it to completely change over. But some people are flying by GPS now. And, uh, but it used to be that there was marks on the ground where these beacons would put out a signal and you could tell where you were compared to how far that, you know, the, the signal, I mean, you got that, picked up that signal in your airplane with a little receiver, you could tell where you were located by that beacon. And that mark on the ground showed you where you belonged compared to where you are. You understand? And that's what a spiritual father will do. He'll put marks in your life to orient you. Hallelujah. If there are no spiritual landmarks in your life, that indicates you don't have a spiritual father or you got offended at the one God sent you. Or if there's only some and you didn't get everything, you didn't get all the marks that he was supposed to put in your life, then you might be oriented for a while, but then you get off. Amen. Stay put until all the survey work is done. <laughs> until the father gets the chance to put down all the stakes and says, here's, here's our territory. Well, some of you are getting it. Praise God. So if there are no landmarks, it's because there's nobody to speak into our life. We're told not to move these boundaries. Amen. Nowadays, the younger generation sets landmarks for the older generation. He didn't say, remove not the ancient landmarks which the new generation is putting in place. <laughs> Amen. Uh, the new generation brings in new perversions, new, new, new fads. You know, if it's just a style of something, I like to go with styles. But see, I'm not changing any moral issues here. But, you know, you know, certain things are cool. You know, the new generation, they like what's called shock value. I flipped past something the other day on TV. It's called ta taboo or something. They do things that are just this crazy. You don't even watch it. I didn't watch it either. I'm just saying, just people, are, they like the shock value. 
And the younger generation is into that, trying to change uh, standards which have been set already that have made this nation great. Anyway, praise the Lord. Where, when, when you remember something that your spiritual father said, there's, this has happened to me many times, and people have trouble with this, but that's their problem. They can live in their defeated life. I'll live mine. I've come up to times in my life where I, I needed to make a decision that I didn't know what to do. And I heard, not, not, not uh, audibly, but I, I remembered and actually could hear Kenneth E. Hagin saying something. And how he said something, oh, that's, see, that's the answer for my life. That's the answer for the decision I'm making right now. See, what, what that was, was I sat in that service to where I allowed him to mark my life with a truth from the word of God that he had. Amen. Praise God. People are about to marry the wrong person. They should hear pastor saying, for say, saying, you know, be not unequally yoked together. Sometimes you'll actually remember the scripture and just go to the scripture, but sometimes you'll remember hearing pastor say that. It's not a man controlling your life with, some, with his old fogey ideas. It's being marked by spiritual things from the heart of God through a man that God used to father you. Amen. Hallelujah. So when you remember something, some story, some illustration he gave, some spiritual truth of how he did something, that's a landmark placed in your life, and that's orienting you. Amen. But you had to stay put under his ministry to get that mark, so that mark could be put on you. Now, over in 2 Kings chapter 2, go over there. Goodness, I'm not even getting, I'm still not getting maybe 40% of what I'm trying to get to this morning here. But we'll get there. See, this is the benefit of having a spiritual father. You know, people that grow up, you're going to 2 Kings 2. Uh, people that grow up without a father in the natural, they don't have that, the, the benefit of all that fatherly and motherly training. Where how to do this and, and don't do this. And, you know, well, why, why did that kid beat me up? Well, you were taunting him, you know. And you, you just have to learn things. <laughs> I mean, somebody that's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, threw the T-shirt away, turned it into a grease rag and all that, can say, hey, that won't work. Been there, that won't work. Well, you need that in your life. I need that in my life. But anyway, um, we have the advantage whenever we have somebody speak into our life. I don't know why people don't want that. It's just, I guess it's pride or something. All right, 2 Kings here, chapter number 2. Uh, we find this is uh, Elijah and Elisha are one of the Bible illustrations of a spiritual father. And Elijah, back in earlier, back in the book of 1 Kings, put, God told him, go uh, anoint Elisha to be prophet in thy room. Whenever he went on, he was gonna, uh, Elijah went on, Elisha was going to step up and fulfill that ministry, carry it on to the next generation. Well, uh, the Bible says he threw that mantle on him and Elisha went and... Uh, you know, followed him, and he started serving him, ministering to him, being in the helps ministry, so to speak. See, he wasn't even standing in what he knew in his heart he was going to stand in, but he was, he was uh, starting out just helping out, staying close. Ringy-dingy. That's what you got to do to get something from your spiritual father. So he was staying close. Then it came time for Elijah to go on, and you know the story here in 2 Kings 2. Elijah kept saying, uh, 
like just to start in verse 1. It kept, came to pass that when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went to Elisha, or with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they too, they, they went down to Bethel. And you know the story. That happened down at Bethel, and then from Bethel, Elijah said, I'm going to Jericho. Stay here. And Elisha said, I'm not leaving thee. Then from Jericho, he said, I'm going to Jordan. Stay here. And Elisha said, I'm not leaving thee. Remember that? Let's go down to verse 7. And at Jordan here, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. All right, so notice, 50 men of the sons of the prophets. So back then, they didn't have the fivefold ministry. They only had the prophet's office. And they had schools to train prophets. People today, they want to train prophets. I believe it's scriptural to train all fivefold ministry and let God put them in the ministry He wants them. We don't have schools of the prophets. We have schools for ministers. Yeah. Amen. God, they, prophets need the same training as all the other fivefold ministers. Yeah. But anyway, here's, a, here's uh, Elisha heading up the, son, the school of prophets, you might call it. And uh, he's raising up these young men into the ministry. Notice that. These 50 men of the sons of the prophets, they stood to view afar off. Now notice that. They just stood afar off. But Elisha kept close. He kept saying, Elijah kept saying, I'm going over here, follow him. I mean, you just stay here. Now, why was he doing Why did he keep saying stay there? I believe God will test you right before something's about to come on your life to see if you have what it takes to get it or not. And Elisha said, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to stand afar off. I'm staying close. And remember what he said, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion there. You read that in verses 8 and 9 down through there. Uh, I want a double portion of the spirit that's on you. Verse number 9. Verse 10, he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so. But if not, not so. What, 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 what does that have to do with anything? Well, to see him, you're going to have to be close. In other words, to get this, you're going to have to stay close. Impartations are not made from a spiritual father to a spiritual son from long distance. You can't get certain things by being afar off. Because some things are not just taught, they're caught. And uh, it's not able to be caught from a distance. You have to be close. I've said to people around here many, many times, stay close. Stay close. That means learn to know my heart, not just what I preach from the pulpit. Stay close enough to pick up more things than just what's coming from across the pulpit. Paul said to Timothy, you didn't know just my doctrine. You knew my faith. You knew my perseverance. You knew all these things. My character, my love walk. In other words, you observe, you walk close enough to me to observe me how I operated in certain situations. Amen. Man, there's so much. I, see, I'm just, again, I'm just now getting started on some things. But anyway. All right. So Elisha had to stay close. Look at verse number, uh, this is when Elijah went into heaven, verse number 12. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, that's my spiritual father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. In other words, I see it. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them. And you know, the, the, uh, verse 13, he took also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle that fell from him and smote the water, says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And you know what happened? The waters departed hither and thither. 
Then the, the sons of the prophets, which stood afar off, said, The spirit of, verse number 15, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. In other words, he got it. Something was passed from one gen an endowment of the Spirit was passed from one generation to the next because somebody stayed close. You're not going to get it by, by staying at a distance or far off. You're going to get it by staying close. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And notice there was a progression from Gilgal to Bethel, from Jericho to Jordan. They kept on... Uh, Elijah kept on progressing. But Elijah, Elisha had to stay with him through that progression. There's a process, a progression towards getting what you're after. Amen. I remember when somebody one time left, left the church, or actually they didn't leave the church here, but they left, they left their former pastor. It was, wasn't right. And they got here and they got hooked up. I didn't know all that had happened. There was another city, another town. Far, they, they had left somewhere else, in another state actually. And they got here, and, uh, and uh, something just, just kept sit, not sitting right with me. And they kept wanting more and more, and kept wanting more and more, and I kept saying, well, you didn't leave right. You didn't leave right. Right now, it's, it would be huge to uproot the whole family and go back there. So you have to decide whether, but you didn't leave right. And so finally, then, they went through almost disconnecting here, and then they, they got it right and got reconnected up again. But still, that thing kept bugging. God wouldn't let me mentor them like they needed to be mentored. <clears throat> Somebody said they needed it. Why wouldn't God let you? Because I told them, I said, I said this to their face, sitting in the office. I said, you left once, you'll leave again. You did it before, you did it here, and you left once, you'll leave again. You need to get that right before. Well, guess what they did? And with, after a few years, they left again. Now, where they are now, they're, uh, they're getting ready to leave there got to stay close. I said, you got to stay close. And, I, and you got to learn to say, I will not leave thee. Well, praise the Lord. I guess I'll have a uh, bodyguard at the picnic today. And some of the daggers in your eyes, I'm not sure. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's the son's job to stay close to the father, not the father's job to keep you close. Amen. A big part of success is having a successor. Passing what's on you in faith, what's on you in the anointing, what's on you in revelation and how, how God's taught you by the Spirit. Passing that on to the next generation is uh, how things are kept and not lost in the body of Christ. See, some things are lost because people don't stay close enough. And generations lose things. People got mad when Brother Hagin said it, but the Lord told Brother Hagin, if you don't teach this next generation about the move of the Spirit, it'll be lost. And there's a multitude that lost it. They didn't stay close enough. It puzzles me. It really puzzles me. I thought, I thought you sat in those same services I sat in. But see, they, didn't, they weren't really a son. Amen. What are you going to leave to the next generation? You need to think about that. Tell your neighbor, hallelujah. hallelujah. So you have to stay close to catch it. Amen. Now, um, there's a, uh, remember Paul said, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, he said, you are in my epistles written and known of all men. You're written by the Spirit of God, not with ink. But I, I, I wrote on your hearts. Amen. You remember that? Now, the old style printing presses, not in Paul's day, but later, uh, they, uh, the, uh, the, whenever something was printed on paper with the old style printing presses, there was 
you know, the, the, whatever the dies or the letters were put in, on, put in order, and then they were pressed into paper. And not only was ink put on the paper, but an indentation was made. And a mark was made. And uh, that mark, somebody could come along and maybe, maybe erase the ink, but you couldn't erase the mark. And the closer you are to the person you're supposed to get spiritual things from, the deeper and the more impression they're going to make upon your heart. They're going to write things on your heart, but not just write it, they're going to make an impression. Stay close enough to get impressions. To get, to get marks put on you and something that cannot be erased. Amen. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to be marked with a mark that can't be erased. Amen. That's what a spiritual father is there to do. Mark you with things that cannot be erased. But it's your job to stay close enough spiritually. I'm not talking about close always, you know, physically. But spiritually close enough to where that impression is made deep enough to where it cannot be erased. Hallelujah. And you don't just learn it from the pulpit, but you learn it by watching the life watching the, 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 the manners of treating situations and handling situations. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor we're getting this. Now, um, another side of this is there's a part for our... I'm, I'm closing with this. There's a part for our life individually. Um, there's, there's marked off... Each one of us have a part. Remember the Bible says uh, every measure uh, brings a supply. Jesus' body, he had the whole measure whenever he was on earth physically. He had the full measure. We're, now the, the anointings and endowments that were on Jesus are broken up with, into all of our lives. And we have a part in the body of Christ. Now, not only is our inheritance, our healing, our prosperity, and so forth, but it's the measure of equipment on our lives to do something in the body of Christ. And a spiritual father will help you identify the perimeters of your part in the body of Christ. They're not the ones to call you or anoint you or to put you where they want you, but I'm saying they'll help you identify what God is doing in your life. Because you know as well as I do, people that are more seasoned recognize things better and quicker than a person that's younger or unseasoned. They might have a sense about something, but they don't know, what to, they don't know how to identify it. So the spiritual father help, uh, help you find the landmarks and show you that territory that belongs to you and the endowment on your life. Can you see that? Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, listen to Psalm 16, 5 and 6. I'm closing. Psalm 16, 5 and 6. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Notice this verse is describing the allotment of an inheritance that belongs to us as, as the people of God. And he mentions lines. They're fallen to me in pleasant places. He's talking about these property lines. In other words, God marked off what my territory is. What belongs to me and what I'm to be cultivating. You know, if you're called to pastor, don't try to be a prophet. If you're ca called to something, you know, uh, like an evangelist, don't try to pastor. If you're called to be an exhorter, don't try to be something else. You know, there's all sorts of things. We all have uh, an allotment in the supply that we're to bring to the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Remember Ephesians, every joint supplieth. Hallelujah. So it's dangerous, and the spiritual father in your life will help you identify. It's dangerous to try to operate in something that's not given to you. It's try to take on a ministry that God hasn't given you. 
Praise God. If you would like more information about Pastor Jay Everly's ministry, please visit us on the web at soffc.org or call us at 319-366-2147 or you can write to us at Spirit of Faith Family Church, Post Office Box 8355, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 52408. And remember, God loves you and you're equipped to live victoriously in every area of life.